Good morning. Man, I'm glad to see you folks. I mean, preaching to an empty room has been a lot of fun, uh, but really having people here really makes it feel like you're doing something more significant. So thank you for those who are able to come and worship in person. Welcome those who are worshiping online still. Uh, we are also glad you're part. We're doing our best to produce the best service we can, so that it's good whether you choose to come here or whether you choose to go online. So we have uh, these t-shirts. So I was at the beach uh, a couple weeks ago, and I had this idea when I was kind of getting some headlines and social media and all this stuff, and I just thought, man... Uh, I would love to have about a couple thousand people walking around our communities that just have t-shirts that say, love your neighbor. <laughs> and so that's what the t-shirts are for. They're free for you to pick up on the way out today. If you want to grab one, you're welcome to. If you're online and you say, man, I didn't get a t-shirt. <laughs> Too bad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we actually will have the t-shirts available for you all week long. And then we'll have them next week until they run out. We're going to give them away uh, just because the, the goal is we just want to get the message out there as much as we can. Uh, man, a couple things have been happening since COVID-19. Uh, one of the things that's been happening is you all have been faithful in your giving, and that is quite significant. So let me tell you the dynamics that have happened. Um, so the faithful giving's happened, but to be honest, it's been cheaper to do church because we don't have people here every week. And so um, what we have done is we've been able to kind of uh, provide uh, rent and mortgages for several businesses in the communities that Alive's a part of for a couple of months for those that lost business over that time. And you all, were, you all allowed us to do that. And then um, we had a couple churches that approached us that uh, they weren't able to meet, didn't have online giving. And so we actually kept a pastor family uh, afloat and kept their utilities paid and their rent paid. Um, so you all were part of that as well. And so what we decided is that last week, so now this COVID-19 thing is sort of spreading international. And so like, there's more international concerns. And um, we have mission partners around the world. And we started getting emails saying, hey, you know, this is happening. Just to give you an update. In fact, I read one last night from our, our partner, Rupak, in India about how things are going. And um, where we are on that is we decided that we would work uh, toward providing some fresh water um, in, in a variety of places, and we're working with an organization called World Hope, and um, we know the organization, know the people that run it, we're confident in it, we've helped them before, and so what we're doing is we're um, looking to raise money for building wells or rebuilding wells um, around the world. So if you want to be part of that, um, alive in our giving, we're already going to do something, uh, whether we're going to build one or two. It's just a matter of how many wells we're going to build. So if you say if something like that triggers something in you and you want to give to that, um, you can give to our online platform. Just click uh, World Hope and that money will go directly to them. Uh, nothing comes, comes here. It goes all to them. So that's, that's also underway. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for these great folks. And all morning long, Lord, it's, it's been this wonderful reminder of how important the church is. Um, we are so grateful that our church was prepared um, to do an online service, the caliber and quality of which we're able to do. I'm grateful for that. And, and that's valuable and will continue to be valuable. We're also grateful, Lord, for the body of Christ and gathering together. And that's also valuable. One thing, this monstrous illustration coming out of COVID has been how important we are to each other. And so let us encourage one another today, I pray, um, whether we're here, whether we're watching online, and may we just feel refreshed in our spirits because we've been with you and been together. And so hide me deep in your cross, I pray, over the next few moments. Lord, I pray for our society, our culture, and our world. Uh, there's so much brokenness, Lord. There's so much division. Um, I don't have answers for any of this, Lord. Um, but I do know... Um, I am desperately dependent upon you in these times. And so, Lord, uh, you invented mercy, 
And I ask that you would pour your mercy out on all sides of every issue that's dividing us right now. I pray, Father, that you would um, allow the world to see you in a fresh light. Dare we even pray, Lord, that a fresh wind of your spirit might pour out through the churches and that um, they might be places of healing and hope. I ask for conviction where conviction needs to, be, needs to happen for our society and ask for healing where healing needs to happen in our society. And I ask that you would have your hand on the future of our society. And we'll entrust all that to you because you're God and we're not. You created us, and we're faithfully following you in your name. Amen. So uh, a couple weeks ago, our, our family got away and went to the beach. I just want to tell you, the beach is a wonderful place. There is no COVID at the beach. Um, everybody loves each other at the beach. Uh, you just give saltwater taffy out to strangers, random strangers. So thank you. Have a, have a taffy. This is wonderful. It's a great place to go. So we actually got to get some time away, went to the beach. Uh, we haven't been for a couple of years, primarily because Thomas and I get a little bored at the beach. Um, laying out in the sun all day isn't exciting to us, and it's, we don't really have the skin for it either. And so, you know, we're kind of huddling for shade or whatever. But we, we do go to the beach every so often. And, um, and I love going. I, I especially love the high tide and low tide part of the beach. Um, so high tide gives you the best ocean to sort of ride the waves in and all that kind of stuff. And so that's exciting. And low tide is also exciting for our family because we have two scientists in our home and they love to go out and see all the creepy crawlers that are part of the ocean life. And so they go and they mine through all that. So, oh, there's a placlostromus or, well, you know, whatever it is, I don't know, something like that. And I'm just looking, is there a shark tooth in there? You know, that's kind of what I do, but they're looking through all this other stuff and, that, and that's exciting for them. Um, you know, one thing I love about the, the, the ocean is the predictable rhythm of the tides and the waves. Now, I hope you don't think I'm going too, age, too new age on you here, but something about that sort of helps remind me to set my inner clock to kind of there's a pattern to everything. There's an order to everything. And so um, that, that's an awesome thing uh, f- to happen at the beach. And one of the things I love doing at the ocean is this. I go out to the ocean and I'll stand in the water just about chest high. And I'll just stand there. And what I love to have is the sensation of the, the water moving the sand out from under my feet. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're standing there, it's like grain by grain or teaspoon by teaspoon, the water is moving the sand out from under my feet. You think, wow, first Sunday back, Tom's talking about his feet. This is gross. And, 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 and I, I'll move on. But you just don't get that feeling anywhere else. It's, it's just at the, at, the, at the beach and in the ocean. And the power of the ocean does that. And it, it, it kind of moves the sand you're standing on. And eventually, it's not all at once, but eventually what will happen is you'll find yourself standing on totally different sand than when you started. Isn't that amazing? Please say yes. I haven't been with you for a while. I need more from you than what you're giving me right now. So I guess that picture is kind of the motivation for this series. Um, See, here's what I've discovered about my life as I've had my quarantine thoughts. I don't think, I wrote this in my journal, I don't think I'm ever going to be an axe murderer. Prior to quarantine, I thought about it. But I've, right now, I'm fairly, cons- fairly convinced I'm not going to be an action murderer. Aren't you relieved to know about your pastor? And here's what I mean by that. Um, I don't think I'm going to make a major change in my life in a moment that's going to change everything in my life as a general rule. So let me explain myself a little bit. I don't think it's going to be a big thing that threatens my with God life. Because I feel pretty solid in my walk with God, what I believe about God, how and why he made me, and why he placed me in the world. 
And as a result, I've, having settled some of these major beliefs of my life, I have a tough time believing that one day I'm going to make a decision in a moment that's going to totally change the trajectory of my life intentionally. So I don't think I'm going to wake up one time and, and, and like Tuesday and just say, you know what, I think I'm going to walk out in the family today. I think I've had enough of this. I'm just going to leave Rachel Sarah Thomas Lease at home. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think I'm going to wake up tomorrow and decide to break the marriage covenant with Lee. Say, look at her, say, yeah, I could probably do better. And I don't think it's going to happen because I'm not sure how I got away with the first one, to be quite honest. And so, I'm, you know, she's kind of with me till one of us moves on. And so, um, and so I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think I'm going to wake up tomorrow and decide in a moment to change my character or integrity in such a way that I'm no longer able to lead alive. I, I, don't, I don't have that plan. I doubt I'm going to wake up tomorrow and decide to maybe start forming an addiction that will wreck my life and the lives of people that I love. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not at all saying or suggesting that I am beyond a crash and burn season in my life. I'm not saying that. What I am saying at this point of my life, it is most likely not going to be a big momentary decision that will undermine who I am, what I do, what I believe, and who I live my life for. And yet, full disclosure, I still sense the pressure in all those areas of my life I just mentioned. I still sense the pressure on our family. Tensions and reaction to what's going on in culture and society. Who doesn't feel pressure on their marriages? I mean, the best thing for marriage is slap all y'all together and stick you in the house together for two, two months. You know, this is going to be perfect. It's going to be fantastic. Who, who doesn't feel pressure on their integrity and morality as we're watching what's going on in culture and society? Here's what I'm suggesting. I think the biggest threat to the with God life comes from the subtle compromises in one's life. I don't think the biggest threat to the with God life for me is a momentary decision, but it's more these little subtle compromises. See, it's not the big things. It's the subtle things, the things that seem relatively harmless to us on the front end. It's the things that, that don't seem like big deals, but if you stand in them long enough, you find yourself on totally different moral ground than you were before. You get what I'm saying? I don't think anybody sets out in life to be the most untrusting, cynical person they can be. But over time, I've seen in my life, the optimism begins to fade, and idealism disappears through this series of disappointing relational exchanges, and it becomes easier and easier to let anger take root in my heart toward an individual, toward a group of people. Something subtle begins to cause erosion and undermine who we are. I've done a lot of marriage counseling throughout the years and a lot of weddings. Nobody that I've ever talked to begins a marriage with the intention of becoming resentful toward the person they're marrying. And yet over time, it happens. Over time, small compromises, piles of resentment begin to take place. And as a result, you end up having this marriage filled with resentment and bitterness and fear. Nobody who starts a friendship and wants it to be defined by mistrust and betrayal. But over time, through small compromises, 
white lies, inaccurate attitudes, loose words that were said and they shouldn't have been said, friendships change. In some cases, it's even lost. And it's rare for anybody to lose their credibility overnight. But if a series of small compromises are made in a life, in finances, in truth-telling, in private behaviors, it can erode our integrity and our character. I don't know if you all remember Calvin and Hobbes, but the writer of Calvin and Hobbes is a guy named Bill Watterson, and he said this. You know what's weird? Day by day, nothing seems to change, but pretty soon, everything's different. You're standing on different sand. So Scripture is filled with stories of people trying to live the with God life. And people living the with God life, some of the people in Scripture respond in a way that is worth studying. Other people in the Scripture respond in a way that's not worth studying. But everybody understands what it means to experience experience the with God life with shifting sand under our feet. Daniel is one of the, is a great example. He's one of the best and the brightest of his people. What happened was a pagan king invaded Daniel's country, and Daniel was taken into slavery because that king, when he invaded the country, he only wanted the best and brightest. Daniel was one of them. And so Daniel finds himself serving a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar in a land he's never been to. So he's in this moment, he's in the king's court, things are going well for Daniel. He's in the king's court, for heaven's sakes. Daniel's actually eating at the king's table, which is a pretty big deal. Not everybody got to eat at the the king's table. Some people had to go to McDonald's. But some people got to eat at the king's table, and Daniel was one of them. So Daniel's getting ready to eat at the king's table, and then he finds himself in this shifting sand kind of moment. And he says to the king, I don't think I can eat what you're placing before me. Can you imagine saying that to a king? Daniel said, I can't eat this food. And the reason he couldn't eat the food was really there's three, three, three problems. One, uh, this, was a, this was a polytheistic society, and so there was many gods that were worshipped. And when you worship a pagan god, you sacrifice a cow, and, but you don't want to throw the meat away. So that, that meat that was sacrificed to a pagan god would end up on the king's table. Well, that was a problem for Daniel. I can't eat meat sacrificed to a pagan god. Not that. Daniel's Hebrew. He, he's, a, he's, he's from Israel. And so part of their law as a culture was, I can't eat food that's been prepared by Gentiles. That didn't change until we got to the New Testament. And so these food that was offered to pagan god obviously had been prepared by Gentiles. The third thing was this. Um, it had to do with the drink or the wine. Um, in a previous life, I have tasted wine. I didn't inhale, but I mean, I tasted it, and um, (laughs) I shouldn't have said that, Uh, but it's been a while. I'm out of practice, and so so what happened was, and the Jewish people, they would water their wine down, like two-thirds water or one-third water to, to, to full wine, so I think you get something terrible and you water it down. can't be better, but nonetheless, the king, when they were drinking, it was full wine. All this is a violation to Daniel, so he can't partake of the meal. And he says to the king, I can't drink this stuff. I can't eat this stuff. And he was being asked, if you will, to compromise what he believed was right. And so Daniel has to make this decision. For heaven's sakes, he's sitting at the king's table. He's a foreigner in the king's land. And he says to the king, do I I just compromise? Do I just roll with it, not make a big deal, ask for forgiveness later? You know, what do I do? 
And so Daniel did this, chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel was determined, and put the definition in here, he purposed in his heart. The heart for Daniel is the chewy chocolate center of who he is. It's identity place. I purposed in my identity not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And that's what he did. He didn't eat the king's food. They ate something else, and good things happened that you can read about for yourself a little bit later. Daniel was determined not to defile himself. A little bit later in the story, the king decides he's going to build a statue. And so he builds this huge golden statue of himself. And there's a little ego problem. And, um, and as a result, he builds this huge golden statue. And then when the music played, the trumpet sound, the idea was everybody was supposed to bow down to this golden statue. That was the plan. So they built the statue. The big day comes. They're going to have the big coronation. The trumpet sound. And the whole nation gets down on their knees and bows before the statue except for three of Daniel's closest friends who were brought into slavery with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three guys still stand. And so they're being asked to worship this, this statue, but these three guys say, we're not going to do it. When everybody else is saying yes, these three guys said no. So the king confronts them and he threatens them and says, hey, listen, if you guys don't bow down, it's not going to go well for you. You know, it's going to be a problem. And, and, and this is how Shadrach and Meshach responded. This is Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, which I think is kind of, uh, I think this whole thing's funny. I don't know why, but I just do. So, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you silly king. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. That would change all of social media right there. Those, those lines right there would change everything. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able so they're, they're commenting on God's ability right now. God is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power. And then they add, your majesty. <laughs> but then they go on. But even if that God doesn't, we want to make it very clear to you, your majesty, <laughs> that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So the king said, fire the furnace up. These guys are toast. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, these guys are going to be put in the furnace. And so that's what they did. And I don't get exactly how it happened and what it looks like. But apparently they're in this furnace tied and bound up. And you can see inside the furnace. Now this part is comical to me. Because Nebuchadnezzar is watching them burn. I don't know why, but he's watching these guys to burn up. And then he says, hey, wait a minute. This is in the next verse. He says, wait a minute. Nebuchadnezzar jumps up in amazement. So he was actually sitting down watching and enjoying this. He jumps up and exclaimed to his advisors, the wise people, wait a minute. <laughs> I think we put in three people, but now I'm seeing four. And so he has to ask the people around him, how many people did we put in there? And they're checking that little thing with the beads on it, like the old calculator, Abascus, Abascus. Yeah, that thing. He's checking that kind of thing like that. And they're, oh, yeah, you're right, king. We only put in three people. And yes, indeed, there are four people. Then Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Cool thing. In the New Testament, that word four is actually translated door. So what the king is saying is, I see the door, the way, the truth, and the life. 
in the fire with these three dudes. King Nebuchadnezzar says, turn that heat down. Get those boys out of there. Look at the change of heart. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. Check this out. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. That's challenging to me. They would rather suffer the consequences of man than defile themselves in the presence of a holy God. What a position. What a stance to take. Who do you know who lives that way? Who do we look to as an example in our culture of an uncompromising belief person? Who carries that kind of uncompromising integrity? Uh, Only political joke I make, but it's certainly not Congress and White House right now. Right? Respectfully, everything I read in Scripture says those of us living the with God life should do that. Christians have a belief system, a personal relationship, and that's worth risking everything on. The problem we have in church world is we have a bunch of people in churches who are filled with strong opinions but compromised beliefs. See, the world doesn't need more experts. What we need is just one good example. We just need someone who's willing to live out what they believe uncompromisingly. Instead, what we have is a whole bunch of people calling themselves one tribe or another tribe who really can't live out what they believe. As an adult, some suggest Daniel was in his 90s. The king's wise advisors were still trying to trap Daniel because Daniel had the ear of the king. And so they said to Nebuchadnezzar, hey, I got this idea. Why don't we make it illegal to pray to anybody but you? And Nebuchadnezzar has a little bit of an ego problem. He says, yeah, uh, that, that sounds like a good plan. And so they do that knowing they're going to trap Daniel because they know Daniel's plans. They know what Daniel does. And so here's what Daniel does when he finds out about the law. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel learned that the law had been signed. So he's aware. He went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open. I'm going to come back to that toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. If you're familiar with this story, as a result of this decision, Daniel's thrown into a lion's den. We should pause here long enough to acknowledge the Babylonians, they really knew how to kind of kill people. I mean, a burning fire in a lion's den, I mean, come on, those are pretty significant things. I mean, I'm not saying they're, they're good, they're bad, but those are still pretty entertaining things to think about the Babylonian culture. So imagine all this taking place. Daniel's deciding, I can either disappoint a king or I can disappoint God. And he chooses to disappoint the king. Do you know what you call what's happening in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life? You know what you call that? Character. Uncompromising character. Now, these stories, although not as dramatic, are my stories and your story. It's the subtleties. 
Imagine if Daniel would have just been sitting at the king's table and started to cut the meat and thought about whether or not he was doing his right or wrong. And he looks around and like, well, everybody at the king's table is eating this meat and it looks amazing. I'll just go ahead and eat it. I'm just going to roll with the punches here. I'm just not going to make waves. Imagine if he would have done that at the king's table. Imagine if the three friends of Daniel, when they are standing there before God and country, everybody in the nation's bowing down. Wouldn't it have been so easy just to bow down, to kind of fade into the woodwork, so to speak? Not to make waves, but to say, you know what, let's just do this. We'll worship God. We'll ask forgiveness later. And we're not really going to worship. We're just going to do this. Imagine if Daniel had just changed his patterns. For heaven's sakes, Daniel, close the windows. That way you can pray and nobody's going to see you. But he didn't. All along the way in Daniel's story, you see these uncompromising character of these men. So I started to make a list of things to make sure that my character stays intact. I started to ask God to define some things in my life, to find some things in our church that maybe, maybe are potential danger zones for us. What if the things I listen to and become accustomed to, the things I see and get used to seeing are actually undermining who I am in Jesus? What if the patterns of thought that I'm experiencing today toward people, toward society, toward self, toward whatever, I view as normal today, but they would have been a violation to me 10 years ago? What about how I see people that at one time seemed wrong, but now I see it as a normal part? I can take a person or a whole group of people or people who believe different than I do. What about what I'm watching that at one time would have been a tremendous violation to me, but now it's just kind of funny? Or how about how we're viewing people of the opposite sex? At one time, that was more innocent, but now it's, it's something else. Here's my point. It's the subtle compromises. It's the shifting of the sand below your feet. And before we know it, we're standing on completely different ground than we once did. Well, allow me just one takeaway for you to consider. We'll get into more in the series progresses. But just one takeaway for your consideration. What if we... What if we decide to discipline for our desired destination? What if we decide to discipline for that desired destination? I think one of the best things ESPN did was the Michael Jordan miniseries or documentary or documentary series, whatever that thing's called. And I loved it, man. That dude was so, so intense and disciplined. Now, there's a lot of preaching points and all that, but see, nobody excels in their field. Field of competition, field of business, field of relationship. Nobody excels by accident. This kind of resolves involves training. Daniel had a reputation for praying three times a day. Daniel's deeply devoted to his God, and if something didn't match his devotion to God, it went away, and it just wasn't accepted. No, no, this is my devotion. You can't touch that. 
And I know discipline's a tough thing to sell in our society and our culture, especially in the area of faith, and, and, I, and I get it. But maybe discipline's received a bit of a bad reputation. Here's what I'm learning. See if you agree. I think some constraints are good. Fair? I'm glad that on the way here, there were these little signs that I ignored that told me how fast I could travel to get here. And I'm glad you had to go by those same signs or ignore them to get here. Constraints can be good. Man, being at the beach with adult children is quite different than being at the beach with small children. So when you're at the beach with small children, what you do is, if you've never been, is you rent like something like a small Hummer, and you're going to load that thing up to take everything you need to go to the beach. So you got the kid, and you got them all greased up with their suntan lotion or sunblock. When my generation was suntan lotion, remember now it's called sunblock? But anyway, you put all this stuff on them, and inevitably what's going to happen? You know, the kid's going to get in their eyes, right? And they're going to say, I got this stuff in my eyes, and they try to wipe that out. And then you get them all in their bathing suits and their little rubber duckies or whatever you do to your kids to put them in therapy later. And so you drag them, you drag in this Hummer to the beach, and you get to the beach, and you finally get everything set up. You're only going to need two things out of the cart, but you're taking 1400 in case something is needed. And so you get to the beach, you set the thing up, and like five minutes in, I got to go to the bathroom. And then you're hauling it right back out because you can't tell them at that point, just go in the ocean. That's what everyone else is doing. But you tell them to go back to the house. You go back to the house. And then so like now when we go to the beach with adult children, like you're up at like noon <laughs> and you go walk to the beach and like, you, know, you may or may not have suntan block on, sunblock, whatever it is. And you're walking the beach and here they come, these haggard families coming off of the beach. And I mean, they're pulling their little Hummer like that. The kid's got four pounds of beach in his shorts, you know, right like there. And he's walking like this because some ungodly things are happening, you know down in that area. And I was thinking about that because Lisa and I were sitting on the beach just laughing at all you people, young children this time. And um, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about when our kids were small, they get these little boogie boards and they go running in the ocean and they jump out right in front of us and they start riding the waves, right? Riding the waves. And inevitably what will happen is the tide will take the children usually this way. And so you start watching them as parents, and like, you know, you're like, depending on which one of you is which, you know, one of you is like a helicopter mom or dad, and the other doesn't even know you have children. And those two people, God in his sense of humor, marries you two. And so you're sitting there, and you watch these bobbing heads. And as long as you can recognize which heads are yours, children, you feel fairly confident. And then what will happen eventually is you'll stand up, and I would do it. I'd stand up as a dad, and for some reason, the kids can tell when dad has stood up, right? Whole bunch of people on the beach, <gasps> Something's wrong in the universe. Dad has stood up. And so they look on the beach. And dads, we do this, right? We're like, right? And the kid knows. I better get back up the beach. So the kid, kids come out of the water. They go tramping up in front of me. They get right in front of me. And they jump right back in the water. And then we watch it. There they go. Start drifting. And then we got to stand up again. And so you <laughs> And they come back. And that's kind of how... You do beach. I think I'm getting to the point where I believe the culture's tide functions a lot like ocean tides. The tides of culture, I'm convinced, are pulling us constantly away from our Heavenly Father. 
And I think every so often it's important for those of us trying to live the with God life to recalibrate. Not according to where culture is, but according to where the Heavenly Father is. Because the closer we get to God, the safer we feel. But the further we drift away from the Heavenly Father, the less safe we feel. Why? Because we are less safe. And so God will say, hey, Tom, come on back here. And I may stubbornly resist at some point, but eventually I'll grab my boogie board and I'll come running back up the beach and get closer to the Father. While I was at the beach, I was reading a book called Lectures in the Theology of the Old Testament. I have a problem. <laughs> Lisa looked at me with an exasperation one morning when we were both sitting out there reading, and she said, you really do get fed by that stuff, don't you? I said, yes, I do. Stop judging me. It's in the Bible. I just read it. <laughs> Did you know... In the Old Testament, there are five different words for the word trust. And they all mean something different. There's a little nuance between each one of them. Two of the words that are used for trust, to be accurately translated, were then put with the word believe. So, so, so I know this. Just stay with me just a minute. So basically what those two words, when you use them, means to trust what you believe. I may trust you as a person. You know, I may trust the rain's going to fall. But two of them specifically would say to trust what you believe. As you get into the New Testament, whenever you see the word believe, it's really those two words, trust and believe, together. So in the New Testament time, to believe means to be certain about something, to be sure. To believe in the New Testament is never meant to be a mental act or a mental trip. But to believe in something in the New Testament is actually to put your weight in something. That's what it means to believe whenever you read it in the New Testament, to put your weight in something. So when we read these familiar words in John chapter 3, now you understand a bit more about what Jesus was saying. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that anyone who puts their weight in that truth risks it all, stands on that truth or doesn't stand on any truth. Anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, we are called to build a life that risks everything on this belief. Everything. And so every time you sit down and the chair hopefully receives your weight and holds you there, that's an illustration of what the New Testament means when it says to believe in God. Believe that God has you. 
believe that God holds you and you can put your full weight. It's what the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I know God is able, but even if he's not, this thing's holding my weight. That's the call. In the face of a culture calling us to subtle compromises, the call that we have is to build a life that has absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And everything else we know won't hold us. Jesus, I thank you to be with my friends today. I thank you for that. They encourage me. Oh, man, how wonderful it is for all of us to realize that we're all in it together. We're all doing our best to worship you together. How beautiful that is. And yet, Lord, I know, I know, all of us in these last few weeks could say and point out some subtle compromises in our own lives. And so we want to invite you, Lord, to search every nook and cranny of who we are. Now, if you're listening to the sound of my voice here or online, I have this mental image I use when I'm praying that kind of prayer. If you'd like to borrow it, you're more than welcome. But I picture the Holy Spirit shining a bright light, like a flashlight, on every part of my life. Sometimes when I ask God to look at something, I'll ask him to look at an attitude, maybe toward a group of people, maybe toward a person, maybe toward finances. God, search me. Search my heart. Nothing hidden. Shine a light in every part of it. The main rooms, the back rooms, and the closets. And so, Lord, we invite you to shine a light into any area of our lives that might experience compromise today. We didn't start out here, but all of a sudden we're standing on different sand. And as we've been talking today, Lord, you have made it clear, hey, this is your area. This is the part I'm standing on the beach waving you back up to me. And if God is doing that today, discipline for your desired destination, join me in that. Join me in that. Whatever area it might be. Maybe for some, all you experience is the drift of culture. You're wondering where the truth is. Where's the anchor point? My belief, what I'm risking all of my life on, is the idea that there's a loving Heavenly Father standing on the shore waving me to Him. If that's something you think's missing in your life, all you got to do is get out, of the, get out of the ocean and run to Him. Tell God you need Him in your life. Ask Him to forgive you and to be your anchor point in this constantly changing world we live in. So, Lord, may the good folks at Alive be known for our character, be known for our uncompromising beliefs, be known as a community of people who live their lives putting it all on the reality of the one who we believe in. For my friends right now who find themselves in a fire, maybe because of some compromise, 
I pray their takeaway today would be that they're not in that fire alone, but there's one who stands with them, calling him safely to the shore. In your name, amen.